0: How many of us can identify with that challenge of trying to keep life kind of normal in the middle of our shadowlands, lands, in the middle of our difficulty, (coughs) stuff that you want to talk about, but you're so tired of talking about that you can't bring yourself to keep bringing it up. We have all been in those times in the shadow lands. And today I want to take a look at the life of Jesus and uh, try to find some hope for these moments. Uh, when, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I did a series for Lent with my, my youth kids where we looked at Jesus in film. Like we would watch 10, 15 minutes of Jesus from all kinds of, of uh, films that uh, were about the life of Jesus. And you'll recognize some of these, I think, right? King of Kings and Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus movie. Uh, anybody know this one? Jesus Christ, no. Christ Superstar. This is the one everybody should get. God spell right um, This is a movie called The Color of the Cross Where Jesus is black And uh, uh, the cross is racially motivated I'm not sure everybody here has seen that one Uh, This was from The Last Temptation of the Christ, William Dafoe. A little hard to take as Jesus, but there he is. This one's from a show called Family Guy. Um, You can see Jesus in all kinds of films. And so what we did was we looked at all these different portrayals of Jesus. And we we sort of compared them and said, well, what what is Jesus really like? And what are all these attempts to portray Jesus on film? And what we found was it's very hard to portray Jesus on film. Okay? It just is. Sometimes Jesus seems so like robotic, he's barely human. You know what I mean? He's sort of holy and walking around. And then sometimes in some of these films he's so human, he's kind of wussy, right? He's kind of uh, it's just hard to get him right. How do you get him right? This has been a trouble for the church for a long time because Jesus sort of goes beyond our ability to understand him. Uh, Here's a bunch of common pictures of Jesus that you may have seen or similar pictures. What do you notice about all of our pictures of Jesus? Long hair and beard. Long hair and beard. And he's let's let's call a spade a spade. He's Caucasian. Okay, in most of our portrayals of Jesus, he's Caucasian. Now, kind of interesting that we do that. If you look at paintings from around the world, for instance, these are paintings from China. Okay, this is Mary Joseph and the baby Jesus. Okay, this is uh, Jesus. uh, I can't remember what story this is. This is Jesus's baptism by John the Baptist. Isn't it kind of strange to look at and see um, an Asian Jesus? Okay, now, we look at paintings from Africa. <laughs> we get a Jesus very different from what we are expecting. Interestingly enough, Jesus stayed for a while in Egypt, probably with family there, which means Jesus had African relatives. Okay, put that together. He probably looked more like this than what our pictures of him are. Okay? Think about all these different images of Jesus that we have um, we often put him with a beard because we know he had a beard. In one of the Gospels, his beard is plucked out on his way to the cross. Okay? But his long hair, that is probably not accurate. Okay? Jesus, in those days, he probably, they would have seen long hair as something that women would have had. He probably had shorter hair. Um, but he did have a beard. It's just hard to get him. And, and interestingly enough, the Bible doesn't ever tell us what Jesus looked like. Kind of a strange omission, right? In 2001, forensic anthropologist Richard Neave created a model for a Galilean man for a documentary for the BBC. worked on an, working on an actual skull found in the region and different paintings and pictures of people in the region. So he tried, as an anthropologist, to say, "Here's what Jesus really may have looked up based on the science." Everybody ready for this? Okay. Now, this is totally made up, but it's made up based on skull and based on some of the pictures and stuff we have from those times. Not pictures, paintings. Okay? Not what we expect. Right? It's difficult for us to see Jesus, to understand him, to imagine him. Shows up in films, but it shows up in our own heads. Right? What do we do? We actually make a Jesus that looks a little bit like us. Okay, or looks like the paintings we've seen, instead of imagining what he really looked like. But Jesus is just hard to get anyway, even if it's not about what he looks like. Think about the portrayals of the Gospels. That Jesus eats, he gets tired, he gets angry and flips over tables, he gets thirsty, he is touched by people, he weeps at the death of John the Baptist. I mean, We get this real picture that Jesus is, is human. But at the same time, he can walk on water. Right. He can calm storms. He can multiply loaves and fishes. He can give sight to the blind. He can uh, call people back from the dead. And so the church very early on has wrestled with who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And, and they have had a couple options. First of all, he could be fully God. That's like pretending to be human. Some people suggested that, that he sort of pretends like he's human, but really he's God. Or he could be fully human and not really God. He's just a special human that God endows. After all, there are all kinds of Bible characters that do special things, right? Maybe he could be like Moses or like Elijah, where he's not God. He's just endowed with special powers by God. Maybe he's part human and part, and part God at the same time. Kind of oil and water, and they're both in there, right? And they sort of mix around. Sometimes he's one, sometimes he's the other. And then maybe he's part God, part human, but he sort of flips back and forth. So he gets hungry, he's human, and then he walks on water. That's the God, Jesus, that's actually doing that, right? And there was a lot of debates about this in the early church, and there has always been a lot of debates about this. And the answer that they've come up with, the only thing that makes sense out of all the data, is that Jesus was fully God and fully human. You've got to say he was both, and that neither took away from the other Neither diminished the other. That's a mystery beyond our ability to explain, but it's the only answer the Bible gives us, the only answer that makes sense of the biblical data. He's got to be both fully human and fully God. So, this makes Jesus a little difficult for us, doesn't it? And so here's what I have found. This is just my My guess. But I think that we tend to lean into the divinity of Jesus. Okay. We make Jesus really God. and that way, we don't have to deal with sort of his human parts. Okay. Or his human life. We praise him. We think he is powerful. And we don't quite think about how human he really was. And here's the problem. The problem when you go through the shadowlands, when you go through these difficult times of pain and suffering in your life is that the divinity of Jesus becomes a problem for us. Okay, let's name it. If Jesus is all loving and all knowing and all powerful, if God is all knowing, all loving and powerful, then why doesn't he keep us from our pain? Okay, he knows about it. He can do something about it. He cares about it. Why do we have to go through it? I think this is partially why when we go through difficult times, we, we kind of leave our faith at the door or we deny the difficulty that we're going through because it's just easier sometimes than facing the theological or faith crisis that we can have in the Shadowlands. It rattles us, doesn't it? Have you ever had something bad happen that rattles your faith? That will you question all of a sudden your faith? How could God do this? But I think instead of questioning the divinity of God, We need a better sense in our shadow lands of the humanity of God, that he is fully human. That Jesus lost Lazarus. He probably lost his father at a young age. That uh, he knows grief. He lost friends. He was betrayed by friends. And this passage that we have of Jesus in the garden is one of my favorite passages because It's here in the garden that we see the humanity of Jesus and the pain of Jesus, the grief of Jesus, all laid out before us. The text is very clear. He knows what is coming. He knows what is coming. He has been in the Gospel of Luke very clearly heading towards Jerusalem. He's been predicting what's going to happen. He shows up in the garden after what? After the upper room where he has spent time with his disciples, where he has told Judas that he would betray him, where he has told Peter that he would deny him, told all the disciples that they would leave him. He knows exactly what is coming. And he goes to the Mount of Olives, like he liked to do, to pray in his agony. Now, I planned this sermon a month and a half ago, not thinking about the fact that I would be at some of these places a couple weeks before I preached it. Okay? So, here is the Mount of Olives today. Okay? Uh, this is from the top of the Mount of Olives. In Jesus' day, there would have been olive trees everywhere. Mount of Olives, right? And uh, down lower on the mountain would have been... And when they say mountain, they're not from Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay? Mounts over there are hills over here. Okay? Because uh, we walked down this quote-unquote mount in about 10 minutes. Okay? Okay? Um, uh, so Gethsemane actually means olive press. The, the, the word means olive press. So there were, the olive press was down at the bottom of the hill in the Garden of Gethsemane. But the whole tree, there would have been a lot of olive trees all over. Now it's a cemetery. So you can see uh, the Jews, Jewish graves everywhere. That's the Kidron Valley. And then over there is the Temple Mount. You can see the dome right there. That's the dome of the rock. That is where the temple was. Okay, so when Jesus goes to the Garden to pray... When he goes to the Mount of Olives to pray, he can see Jerusalem. In fact, there is a chapel on this mountain uh, that uh, is is shaped like a tear. And it's for where Jesus cries for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem uh, marks this place. Why? Because he could see the whole thing from here. He could see the whole thing from here. Um, He goes up to the Mount of Olives. On the other side of this mountain, by the way, is the city of Bethany, where his friends Mary, Martha and Lazarus live. So Jesus came through here all the time. He would stay over in Bethany with them and then come in. In fact, there's a path kind of to the right of where you can see that they call it Palm Sunday Road. Because that's probably the road that Jesus would have taken Palm Sunday. Okay, just five days before this story. And it's beautiful up there. And on this night, he knows he is going to be betrayed. He knows he is going to be crucified the next day. And he heads here to this place he loves for comfort. Now, it says he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. Um, This is the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a small garden at the very bottom. Um, There's really two sections of it now. And both sections aren't much bigger than this sanctuary. Okay, it's a small garden at the bottom of the mountain. May have been larger then. Um, this right here is my dad preach, is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in an old, old olive tree. They one of my favorite pictures. Uh, Jesus went here to pray, and he he's he's tired. It's been a long week. It's been a long three years for him, and he knows what's coming. And the disciples are real tired because they fall asleep, okay? Because they know what they've been through. They've been through Palm Sunday. They've been through all the busyness of Passover. And now they've been through the, the Last Supper. and They don't know it's the last one. But they're tired. But Jesus is anxious. He's feeling the weight of what he's going to go through. He's feeling the weight of our sin and the reason he has to go through it. And here we see him fully human. Fully human. Every bone in his body, every cell, aware of the pain that's coming. In fact, he is strengthened by an angel. Uh, The text says uh, this is on the ceiling of a church that's there. Um, but, uh, But still, even after an angel gives him comfort, the text says that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's a very strange description, but it's actually a real medical condition. You can look it up. Uh, Hematidrosis is what it's called. It's called blood sweat. It's a very rare condition normally associated with anxiety. Let me read you the the Wikipedia description. Uh, I did not put any real pictures up here. But if you're really interested on Google, you can find them. Blood. Us- this is from Wikipedia. Blood usually oozes from the forehead, nails, uh, and other skin surfaces. In addition, oozing um, uh, from the nose, causing nose bleeding, blood-stained tears um, are all common. The episode may be preceding by intense headache, abdominal pain. Um, in some conditions, uh, the fluid dilutes and can look kind of blood tinged, or it can be very very red. Okay, also from Wikipedia. um, While the extent of the blood loss is generally minimal, hematidrosis also results in the skin becoming extremely tender and fragile. Skin becomes tender and fragile. So when we say Jesus died an excruciating death on the cross, I want you to know fully that he's experiencing that as a human being. In fact, because of this, he felt it worse. You understand that? His skin was more sensitive to what he was going to go through. The church that's in the garden where we remember this uh, is called the Basilica of Agony. It has stars on the ceiling. uh, Where uh, uh, So any time of day that you go in there, you're at night with Jesus. And there is this stone they call the Rock of Agony. That's me, my dad, and my friend Dan at the stone. Okay. Ever since the early church, they have believed that this is the rock that Jesus prayed on and sweat drops of blood uh, on the night he was betrayed. Um, If it's not, it's within 30 yards of this. You understand? Uh, But now there's a church marking this stone as that place. I got to tell you, I'm not one of those people that's real into mystical experiences. Okay, I'm a good, logical guy. But I was in tears here. In part because I'm, I love this story. I'm so aware of how important this story is that Jesus feels pain. He feels grief. And when I'm anxious and when I'm struggling, I look to this picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as very important for me. Because I don't want to serve a God. I don't, don't want to serve a God that's far off in my pain and grief. Okay, I don't want a God that's out there somewhere looking through binoculars, wondering how I'm feeling. Okay, in fact, of all the religions, this is the only religion that says, we're the only religion that says that God actually suffered. That he knows what it's like to have pain and suffering. We worship a God who entered the shadow lands. In fact, he sweat drops of blood not for his own sin, not for just what his pain was going to be, but for us. He is experiencing this for us. I think this is so important because whatever you are going through, I'm telling you, Jesus has been there. Are you waiting for bad news? (laughs) Jesus sat around in the garden waiting to be arrested. Are you in pain or awaiting pain like a surgery? Jesus was waiting to be crucified. Do you feel alone in your grief and in your pain? Jesus' friends slept and betrayed him and denied him and ran in fear. Do you feel betrayed and abandoned by others? Jesus Jesus knows that. Are you anxious? Jesus' sweat drops of blood in his anxiety. Because Jesus, who loved you enough to go through all that, also loves you enough to hold you in the palm of his hand and under the shadow of his wings when you are going through pain and suffering. I think there is great hope in seeing a Jesus at the Rock of Agony. And if Jesus in all that can ask God to take the pain away and he's without sin, I think that gives us permission to pray pretty honestly with God. But if Jesus also facing that kind of pain and suffering can say to to the father, not my will, but yours be done. Then I think with Jesus's help, we can find that same kind of resolve. In moments of Shadowlands, When our faith is rattled, may we all cling to Jesus Christ and remember that he has the nature to suffer with us and for us. Whatever you're going through, and and I know some of you, I don't know all your pains you're going through. Some of you, I do. Whatever you're going through, Jesus is with you, and he's with you in a way that he understands more than you can possibly imagine. Cling to that hope. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are with us, that you know what it's like to go through pain. And we pray that we would cling to you in our hour of need, just as you clung to the Father. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.